Section 35 of Sermons on Several Occasions, First Series. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron Weber. Sermons on Several Occasions, First Series, by John Wesley. The Law Established Through Faith. Discourse 1. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Romans 3.31 St. Paul, having the beginning of this epistle, laid down his general proposition, namely, that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, the powerful means whereby God makes every believer a partaker of present and eternal salvation, goes on to show that there is no other way under heaven whereby men can be saved. He speaks particularly of salvation from the guilt of sin, which he commonly terms justification, and that all men stood in need of this, that none could plead their own innocence. He proves at large by various arguments addressed to the Jews as well as to the heathens. Hence he infers in the nineteenth verse of this chapter that every mouth, whether of Jew or heathen, must be stopped from excusing or justifying himself, and all the world become guilty before God. Therefore, saith he, by his own obedience, by the words of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. But now the righteousness of God is without the law, without our previous obedience thereto is manifested even the righteousness of god which is by faith of jesus christ unto all and upon all that believe for there is no difference as to their need of justification or the manner wherein they obtain it for all have sinned and have come short of the glory of god the glorious image of god wherein they were created and all who attain are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, that he might be just, and yet the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus, that without any impeachment to his justice he might show his mercy for the sake of that propitiation. Therefore we conclude, which was the grand position he had undertaken to establish, that a man is justified by faith, without the works of the law. Verses 20-28 through 28. It was easy to foresee an objection which might be made, and which has in fact been made in all ages, namely, that to say we are justified without the works of the law is to abolish the law. The apostle, without entering into a formal dispute, simply denies the charge. Do we then, says he, make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. The strange imagination of some that St. Paul, when he says, a man is justified without the works of the law, means only ceremonial law, is abundantly confuted by these very verses. For did St. Paul establish the ceremonial law? It is evident he did not. He did not make void the law through faith, and openly avowed his doing so. It was the moral law only, of which he might truly say, We do not make void, but establish this through faith. 
but all men are not herein of his mind many there are who will not agree to this many in all ages of the church even among those who bore the name of christians have contended that the faith once delivered to the saints was designed to make void the whole law they would no more spare the moral than the ceremonial but were for hewing as it were both in pieces before the lord vehemently maintaining if you establish any law christ shall profit you nothing christ has become of no effect to you ye are fallen from grace but is the zeal of these men according to knowledge have they observed the connection between the law and faith and that considering the close connection between them to destroy one is indeed to destroy both and to abolish the moral law is in truth to abolish faith and the law together as leaving no proper means either for bringing us to faith or of stirring up that gift of god in our soul it therefore behooves all who desire either to come to christ or to walk in him whom they have received to take heed how they make void the law through faith to secure us effectually against which let us inquire first which are the most usual ways of making void the law through faith and secondly how may we follow the apostle and by faith establish the law let us first inquire which are the most usual ways of making void the law through faith now the way for a preacher to make it all void at a stroke is not to preach it at all this is just the same thing as to blot it out of the oracles of god more especially when it is done with design when it is made a rule not to preach the law and the very phrase a preacher of the law is used as a term of reproach as though it meant little less than an enemy of the gospel all this proceeds from the deepest ignorance of the nature properties and use of the law and proves that those who act thus either know not christ are utter strangers to living faith or at least that they are but babes in christ and as such unskilled in the word of righteousness the grand plea is this that preaching the gospel that is according to their judgment the speaking of nothing but the sufferings and merits of christ answers all the ends of the law but this we utterly deny it does not answer the very first end of the law namely the convincing men of sin the awakening of those who are still asleep on the brink of hell there may have been here and there an exempt case one in a thousand may have been awakened by the gospel but this is no general rule the ordinary method of god is to convict sinners of the law and that only the gospel is not the means which god hath ordained or which our lord himself used for this end we have no authority in scripture for applying it thus nor any ground to think it will prove effectual nor have we any more ground to expect this from the nature of the thing they that be whole as our lord himself observes need not a physician but they that are sick it is absurd therefore to offer a physician to them that are whole or that at least imagine themselves to be you must first convince them that they are sick otherwise they will not thank you for your labor it is equally absurd to offer christ to them whose heart is whole having never yet been broken it is in the proper sense casting pearls before swine doubtless they will trample them under foot and it is no more than you have reason to expect if they also turn again and rend you although there is no command in scripture to offer christ to the careless sinner yet are there not scriptural precedents for it i think not 
i know not any i believe you cannot produce one either from the four evangelists or the acts of the apostles neither can you prove this to have been the practice of any of the apostles from any passage in their writings nay does not the apostle paul say in his former epistle to the corinthians we preach christ crucified chapter one verse twenty three and in his latter we preach not ourselves but christ jesus the lord chapter four verse five we consent to rest the cause on this issue to tread in his steps to follow his example only preach you just as paul preached and the dispute is at the end for although we are certain he preached christ in as perfect a manner as the very chief of the apostle yet who preached the law more than st paul therefore he did not think the gospel answered the same end the very first sermon of st paul which is recorded concludes in these words by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of moses beware therefore lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets behold ye despisers and wonder and perish for i work a work in your days a work for which you will in no wise believe though a man declare it unto you acts thirteen thirty nine forty now it is manifest all this is preaching the law in the sense wherein you understand the term even although great part of it if not all his hearers were either jews or religious proselytes verse forty three and therefore probably many of them in some degree at least convicted of sin already he first reminds them that they cannot be justified by the law of moses but only in faith in christ and then severely threatens them with the judgments of god which in the strongest sense preaching the law in his next discourse that to the heathens of lystra chapter fourteen verse fifteen we do not find so much as the name of christ the whole purport of it is that they should turn from those vain idols unto the living god now confess the truth do not you think if you had been there you could have preached better than he i should not wonder if you thought too that his preaching so ill occasioned his being so ill-treated and that him being stoned as a just judgment upon him for not preaching christ from the jailer indeed when he sprang in and came trembling and fell down before paul and silas and said sirs what must i do to be saved he immediately said believe on the lord jesus christ acts sixteen twenty nine and thirty and in the case of one so deeply convicted of sin who would not have said the same but to the men of athens you find him speaking in quite a different manner reproving their superstition ignorance and idolatry and strongly moving them to repent from the consideration of a future judgment and of the resurrection of the dead chapter seventeen verse twenty four through thirty one likewise when felix sent for paul on purpose that he might hear him concerning the faith in christ instead of preaching christ in your sense which would probably have caused the governor either to mock or to contradict and blaspheme he reasoned of righteousness temperance and judgment to come till felix hardened as he was trembled chapter twenty four verses twenty four and twenty five go thou and tread in his steps preach christ to the careless sinner by reasoning of righteousness temperance and judgment to come if you say but he preached christ in a different manner in his epistles i answer he did not there preach at all but in that sense wherein we speak 
for preaching in our present question means speaking before a congregation but waiving this i answer his epistles are directed not to unbelievers such as those we are now speaking of but to the saints of god in rome corinth philippi and other places now unquestionably he would speak more of christ to these than to those who were without god in the world and yet every one of these is full of the law even the epistles to the romans and the galatians in both of which he does what you term preaching the law and that to believers as well as unbelievers from hence it is plain you know not what it is to preach christ in the sense of the apostle for doubtless st paul judged himself to be preaching christ both to felix and at antioch lystra and athens from whose example every thinking man must infer that not only the declaring the love of christ to sinners but also the declaring that he will come from heaven in flaming fire is in the apostle's sense preaching christ yea in the full scriptural meaning of the word to preach christ is to preach what he hath revealed either in the old or new testament so that you are really preaching christ when you are saying the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the people that forget god as when you are saying behold the lamb of god which taketh away the sin of the world consider this well that to preach christ is to preach all things that christ has spoken all his promises all his threatenings and commands all that is written in his book and then you will know how to preach christ without making void the law but does not the greatest blessing attend those discourses wherein we particularly preach the merits and suffering of christ probably when we preach to a congregation of mourners or of believers these will be attended with the greatest blessing because such discourses are peculiarly suited to their state at least these will usually convey the most comfort but this is not always the greatest blessing i may sometimes receive a far greater by a discourse that cuts me to the heart and humbles me to the dust neither should i receive that comfort if i were to preach or to hear no discourses but on the sufferings of christ these by constant repetition would lose their force and grow more and more flat and dead till at length they would become a dull round of words without any spirit or life or virtue so that thus to preach christ must in process of time make void the gospel as well as the law a second way of making void the law through faith is the teaching that faith supersedes the necessity of holiness this divides itself into a thousand smaller paths and many there are who walk therein indeed there are few who wholly escape it few who are convinced we are saved by faith but are sooner or later more or less drawn aside into this byway all those are drawn into this byway who if it be not settled judgment that faith in christ entirely sets aside the necessity of keeping his law yet suppose either sets aside the necessity of keeping his law yet suppose either that holiness is less necessary now than it was before christ came or that a less degree of it is necessary or that it is less necessary to believers than to others yea and so are all those who although their judgment be right in the general yet think that they may take more liberty in particular cases than they could have done before they believed indeed the using of the term liberty in such a manner for liberty from obedience or holiness shows at once that their judgment is perverted 
that they are guilty of what they imagined to be far from them namely of making void the law through faith by supposing faith to supersede holiness the first plea of those who teach this expressly is that we are now under the covenant of grace not works and therefore we are no longer under the necessity of performing the works of the law and whoever was under the covenant of works none but adam before the fall he was fully and properly under the covenant which required perfect universal obedience as the one condition of acceptance and left no place for pardon upon the very last transgression but no man else was ever under this neither jew nor gentile neither before christ nor since all his sons were and are under the covenant of grace the manner of their acceptance is this the free grace of god through the merits of christ gives pardon to them that believe that believe with such a faith as working by love produces all obedience and holiness the case is not therefore as you suppose that men were once more obliged to obey god or to work the works of his law than they are now this is a supposition you cannot make good but we should have been obliged if we had been under the covenant of works to have done those works antecedent to our acceptance whereas now all good works though as necessary as ever are not antecedent to our acceptance but consequent upon it therefore the nature of the covenant of grace gives you no ground no encouragement at all to set aside any insistence or degree of obedience any part or measure of holiness but we are not justified by faith without the works of the law undoubtedly we are without the works either of the ceremonial or the moral law and would to god all men were convicted of this it would prevent innumerable evils antinomianism in particular for generally speaking they are the pharisees who make the antinomians running into an extreme so palpably contrary to scripture they occasion others to run into the opposite one these seeking to be justified by works affright those from allowing any place for them but the truth lies between both we are doubtless justified by faith this is the cornerstone of the whole christian building we are justified without the works of the law as any previous condition of justification but they are an immediate fruit of that faith whereby we are justified so that if good works do not follow our faith even all inward and outward holiness it is plain that our faith is nothing worth we are yet in our sins therefore that we are justified by faith even by our faith without works is no ground for making void the law through faith or for imagining that faith is a dispensation from any kind of degree of holiness nay but does not paul expressly say unto him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly his faith is counted for righteousness and does it not follow from hence that faith is to a believer in the room in the place of righteousness but if faith is in the room of righteousness or holiness what need is there of this too this it must be acknowledged comes home to the point and is indeed the main pillar of antinomianism and yet it needs not a long or labored answer we allow that god justified the ungodly him that till that hour is totally ungodly full of all evil void of all good that he justified the ungodly that worketh not that till that moment worketh no good work 
neither can he for an evil tree cannot bring forth good fruit that he justifies him by faith alone without any goodness or righteousness proceeding and that faith is then counted to him for righteousness namely for proceeding righteousness that is god through the merits of christ accepts him that believes as if he had already fulfilled all righteousness but what is all this to your point the apostle does not say either here or elsewhere that this faith is counted to him for subsequent righteousness he does not teach that there is no righteousness before faith but where does he teach that there is none after it he does assert holiness cannot precede justification but not that it need not follow it st paul therefore gives you no color of making void the law by teaching that faith supersedes the necessity of holiness there is yet another way of making void the law through faith which is more common than either of the former and that is the doing it practically the making it void in fact though not in principle the living as if faith was designed to excuse us from holiness how earnestly does the apostle guard us against this in those well-known words what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace god forbid romans six fifteen a caution which it is needful thoroughly to consider because it is of the last importance the being under the law may here mean the being obliged to observe the ceremonial law the being obliged to conform to the whole mosaic institution the being obliged to keep the whole moral law as a condition of our acceptance with god and the being under the wrath and curse of god under the sentence of eternal death under a sense of guilt and condemnation full of horror and slavish fear now although a believer is not without law to god but under the law of christ yet from the moment he believes he is not under law in any of the preceding senses on the contrary he is under grace under a more benign gracious dispensation as he is no longer under the ceremonial law nor under the mosaic institution he is not obliged to keep even the moral law as the condition of his acceptance so he is delivered from the wrath and the curse of god from all sense of guilt and condemnation and from all that horror and fear of death and hell whereby he was all his life before subject to bondage and he now performs which while under the law he could not do a willing and universal obedience he obeys not from the motive of slavish fear but on a nobler principle namely the grace of god ruling his heart and causing all his works to be wrought in love what then shall this evangelical principle of action be less powerful than the legal shall we be less obedient to god from filial love than we were from servile fear it is well if this is not a common case if this practical antinomianism this unobserved way of making void the law through faith has not infected thousands of believers has it not infected you examine yourself honestly and closely do you not do now what you durst not have done when you was under the law or as we commonly call it under conviction for instance you durst not then indulge yourself in food you took just what was needful and that of the cheapest kind do you not allow yourself more latitude now do you not indulge yourself a little more than you did oh beware lest you sin because you are not under the law but under grace when you are under conviction you durst not indulge the lust of the eye in any degree 
you would not do anything great or small merely to gratify your curiosity you regarded only cleanliness and necessity or at most very moderate convenience either in furniture or apparel superfluity and finery of whatever kind as well as fashionable elegance were both a terror and an abomination to you are they so still is your conscience as tender now in these things as it was then do you still follow the same rule in furniture and apparel trampling all finer all superfluity everything useless everything merely ornamental however fashionable underfoot rather have you not resumed what you had once laid aside and what you could not then use without wounding your conscience and have you not learned to say oh i am not so scrupulous now i would to god you were then you would not sin thus because you are not under the law but under grace you was once scrupulous too of commending any to their face and still more of suffering any to commend you it was a slap to your heart you could not bear it you sought the honour that cometh of god only you could not endure such conversation nor any conversation which was not good to the use of edifying all idle talk all trifling discourse you abhorred you hated as well as feared it being deeply sensible of the value of time of every precious fleeting moment in like manner you dreaded and abhorred idle expense valuing your money only less than your time and trembling lest you should be found an unfaithful steward even of the mammon of unrighteousness do you now look upon praise as deadly poison which you can neither give nor receive but at the peril of your soul do you still dread and abhor all conversation which does not tend to the use of edifying and labor to improve every moment that it may not pass without leaving you better than it found you are not you less careful as to the expense both of time and money cannot you now lay out either as you could not have done once alas how has that which should have been for your health proved to you an occasion of falling how have you sinned because you are not under the law but under grace god forbid you should any longer continue thus to turn the grace of god into lasciviousness oh remember how clear and strong a conviction you once had concerning all these things and at the same time you was fully satisfied from whom that conviction came the world told you you was in a delusion but you knew it was the voice of god in these things you was not too scrupulous then but you are not now scrupulous enough god kept you longer in that painful school that you might learn those great lessons the more perfectly and have you forgot them already oh recollect them before it is too late have you suffered so many things in vain i trust it is not yet in vain now use the conviction without the pain practice the lesson without the rod let not the mercy of god weigh less with you now than his fiery indignation did before is love a less powerful motive than fear if not let it be an invariable rule i will do nothing now i am under grace which i durst not have done when under the law i cannot conclude this head without exhorting you to examine yourself likewise touching sins of omission are you not as clear of these now you are under grace as you was when under the law how diligent was you then in hearing the word of god did you neglect any opportunity did you attend thereon day and night 
would a small hindrance have kept you away a little business a visitant a slight indisposition a soft bed a dark or cold morning did not you then fast often or use abstinence to the uttermost of your power was not you much in prayer cold and heavy as you was while you were hanging over the mouth of hell did you not speak and not spare even for the unknown god did you not boldly plead his cause reprove sinners and avow the truth before an adulterous generation and are you now a believer in christ have you the faith that overcometh the world what and are less zealous for your master now than you was when you knew him not less diligent in fasting and prayer and hearing his word and calling sinners to god o oh, repent see and feel your grievous loss remember from whence you are fallen bewail your unfaithfulness now be zealous and do the first works lest if you continue to make void the law through faith god cut you off and appoint you your portion with the unbelievers end of section thirty five recording by aaron weber